Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday, talking some USC football with our good friend, our pal, Dan Weber, uh, the great beat writer and columnist for us here at uscfootball.com. Wanted to get to a lot of your questions about the game. USC did beat Notre Dame, seems like a long time ago, but uh, we want to talk about that, talk about uh, where USC could go bowling, uh, Noah Jefferson transferring out, some news that we broke on the site uh, on Tuesday night. So lots to get to. If you want to drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com or all of our other contact information is on our website, peristylepodcast.com. Lots of stuff there. And let's bring in Dan. Uh, what is up, Dan? How you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. It's, uh, again, we always say it, but, uh, you can take the week off, have no games and there's still news everywhere you turn, uh, when it's USC football. It's truly amazing. It, it doesn't take a week off. It never does. And, uh, yeah, I was just kind of, I think I was watching some tape show with my wife we wanted to see last night. And, uh, you know, we start getting texts and hearing stuff about Noah Jefferson, the uh, sophomore defensive lineman. He could be gone. And so I got to make some phone calls and some messages and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, we end up breaking the story. He, uh, Noah Jefferson. So I got a hold of him directly. He didn't want to say a whole lot. Um, but he said he was transferring out of the program for personal reasons and, uh, you know, looking for his next school. And that was it. That's all he wanted to say. Uh, I asked him if he wanted to comment further. He said, no. Um, we got a USC spokesperson to confirm the report. And, you know, I think we've talked about it here on the podcast, Dan. I didn't expect to see him back when Clay Helton said, oh, maybe November. That was back in September. He said, maybe you see him in November. And you didn't see him. It's not that he just wasn't, he just wasn't there. He wasn't around at all. So you just kind of read between the lines and actions speak louder than words. And I just never felt he was going to play again for USC. And turns out that was right. Yeah. I don't think there was a single player that I talked to who thought he was coming back. Not one, nobody, you know, you didn't get the sense that he was close to that many players. It, It just, he and, uh, and the Price kid were just sort of out in, in a different world, it looked like. They just were not a part of the team. And you just didn't get the sense that, oh, I hope he, you know, makes it. I think the sense might have been, wow, I hope whatever the personal issues are, I hope he works those out. But you didn't get that sense of, boy, I hope he comes back or boy we need him or boy you know there just wasn't that sense at all uh, among the team and you know you look at this team and you say wow they got a whole lot better on defense as the year went on and he wasn't anywhere around and you just get the sense that you know they're going to move on and, and they think they'll be fine and you know obviously you you lose Stevie uh, Tui Kalavatu uh, but uh not a sense of boy, uh, you know what what what's going to become of us, but more a case of, gosh, I hope he gets it, you know, squared away and and works things out. But uh, but no sense that 
anybody was holding out that he was coming back. Yeah, it's uh you know, a big athletic kid. I think he would have worked well in uh Clancy Pendergast scheme. He started and then he ended up hurting his shoulder in that first game against Alabama and then we never really saw him again. So I wish him the best of luck. Hopefully he lands someplace and uh, has success there and USC will have to move on. Um the uh couple other topics I wanted to talk about, uh the um all Pac twelve team came out and uh Dory Jackson was the uh defensive player of the year, which I thought was a little strange. I think he could be like an overall player of the year. I don't know about just, you know, purely defensive with some of the great defensive linemen uh in the conference. But, you know, Sam Darnold, the Pac twelve freshman uh of the year, he made honorable mention as far as quarterbacks behind Jake Browning and uh and uh Luke Falk. Um Overall, any thoughts on where some of the USC players were, if anyone got snubbed or was too high, anything like that for the uh, conference, uh, you know, all-conference team? Yeah, I think uh, I think I would have probably uh, moved Stevie up uh, from second team. Uh, I just think he had a, 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 the entire effect of Stevie for the whole year. I mean, I think it was interesting that the, the two Utah kids, who everybody was saying, well, he wasn't even playing ahead of those guys in the Utah depth, depth chart last year. Well, he should have been. And that was a good reason for him to leave. You know, as it turns out, they didn't make the team. Uh, so, uh, uh, I might have been Stevie. I, I mean, I think, you know, Uchenna and, and Porter, I would have taken a real good look at, uh, uh, as far as that, that was concerned. Uh, I'm not sure. I look at that team and I'm thinking, Wait a minute. There are two UCLA offensive linemen who got mentioned. Uh, hello? Is anybody watching any of the games? <laughs> uh, just stuff like that. I mean, I didn't think it was a very, I mean, for, uh, uh, Washington, they have nine and USC basically they have four. You count, uh, uh, Adori twice. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that it was. And I don't know, you know, how do you do that? Let's face it. If head to head math matters, Sam Darnold is a better quarterback than, you know, than Browning, the Browning kid. Uh, and maybe when you watch the, uh, you know, the Washington, uh, Washington State game, uh, Sam had probably a better, more success if you want to match those things, but you're probably not going to move. You know, he's a freshman. It just it was like the case of him or Max Brown early in the year. It's just hard to do that with a uh, with a freshman. Uh, other than that, I I I've stopped paying a lot of attention to those teams. I just uh, I did think that the one thing you notice is USC has by far the more uh, has more young guys mentioned if you go first team second team and uh, i think somebody posted that today and it's exactly the, the case that usc uh clearly has more uh young players mentioned uh for all pac-12 honors than anybody else it, i think five teams had no freshmen or sophomores on there at all and usc had a t- you know i don't know what it was the number seven or something like that and so that's a, that's probably a good sign that, uh, USC's got those kinds of, uh, numbers of really talented players in the pipeline. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think the one place, you know, that somebody might argue is what about, 
Buda Baker is the uh, is the top Pac-12 uh, defensive player, and uh, and that'd be hard to hard to say he shouldn't have been in the running. Uh, I agreed with them that the rap kid from Washington was the defensive freshman of the year. Uh, based on how he played against USC, uh, I certainly you know, thought that was uh, that was legit. But uh, but I think I think it played out about right. Uh, that uh, Zach and Chad ended up as the first team tackles tells you this probably a year where there there wasn't anybody to challenge them that they were you know they were just by themselves pretty much I just don't think there was anybody pushing them uh, you know on the as, as first team all Pac-12 uh, at, at, at offensive tackle but uh, that that's about as far as uh, I think I'll. Uh, I want to go with the with it this year. It just didn't seem to carry a lot of excitement or uh, a lot of weight, as far as I was concerned. And then, uh, so last night, one of the reasons I wanted to wait till Wednesday to talk to you is because the uh, the college football playoff rankings came out last night. Uh, Washington moves up to number four, uh, so good news for the conference to have a chance of making the playoff. Uh, Colorado is up to number eight and USC is at number 11 in between the two schools are Oklahoma and Oklahoma state who actually play each other. Um, a lot of debate on if Washington beats Colorado, would USC, uh, go ahead of Colorado in the rankings, thus being, uh, the, the PAC 12 representative for the Rose bowl. Um, I see on Twitter and everybody, I mean, there's a lot of differing opinions. My opinion is, I mean, I, I think if, Washington wins, especially convincingly over Colorado, that USC would end up ahead and go to the Rose Bowl. Um, a lot of people disagree with that take. Um, we, we just don't know what the committee is going to do. What are your thoughts on that whole situation? Yeah, I'm surprised. I see the rationale on a, from a number of posters that why you could, you know, pick Colorado over USC. And I, I just find that, uh, n- none of it persuasive at all. I mean, uh, you know, Colorado, one of the, Things about Colorado that everybody says, well, they've got, you know, this pretty much a veteran group, a senior class, a lot of almost all seniors on defense. And USC, you know, in a game where they coughed the ball up three times or four, I guess they lost three of them against Colorado, uh, gained like 520 yards to Colorado's 300 and some. I mean, it really wasn't the, you know, the eyeball test. Which apparently that's what they're using, the eyeball test. If they weren't using the eyeball test, Ohio State wouldn't be second. Okay, so it's clearly the eyeball test, uh, because head to head and conference champions and all that absolutely doesn't matter, uh, when you look at it this year, uh, the way that, you know, the, where the commissioners or that, uh, committee is going. And it looks like, you know, they're putting all the, you know, the unbeaten team first and the one lost team second and then the two lost teams third and then the three lost teams uh, next. And they're ranking them according to how many you lost. And obviously, for example, you can say, well, Washington or Colorado's only lost two and USC's lost three. And you say, yeah, but Colorado didn't play Washington. USC did. Colorado played Washington. Colorado... USC played Washington on the road. Colorado played Washington State at home. Big difference. You're not comparing apples and apples. Uh, yeah, so I, 
you know, it would be hard for me to say that there's a case to be made for um, uh, for Colorado and for people who say, well, they won the South. They don't care at all about that stuff unless, they, you know, it's obvious they don't. Look at what they're doing with the Big Ten. They could care less that Wisconsin and uh, and Penn State are playing for the championship and neither Michigan nor Ohio State is in there. Uh that hasn't kept them from ranking those two above it, above uh, the two teams in the championship game. So uh, I, I wouldn't think they're going to make a big deal out of the uh, uh, conference championship game appearance or winning the South. I mean, you know, if you say, well, Colorado had a better record in the South, 8-1, and one, USC was 7-2. Uh, and two. And again, they didn't have to play Washington. So that's almost meaningless. Uh, and the thing that did happen is they played USC and they lost. So I find it uh, extremely unpersuasive that Colorado should be ahead of USC unless they beat Washington. If they beat Washington, then uh, then they go to the Rose Bowl. And they're not going to get into the playoffs, but they, they would go to the Rose Bowl. But this is the year, I think, where who knows if those teams – I mean, uh, I give Urban Meyer credit. After the uh, Washington, or excuse me, the Ohio State-Michigan game, he came out and talked about what a classic, one of the greatest games ever, and he didn't want to say it was the greatest because that wouldn't be fair to everybody who's played in previous great. And I'm thinking, was that the same game I just watched? Neither team can throw the ball more than five yards. Uh, you know, you got to run your quarterback. It looks like uh, college football looked in the 20s where you snap the ball to the quarterback and he takes off in one direction or another. Uh, Michigan gave him two touchdowns. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that quarterback's uh, shoulder must still have a fracture in it. I mean, he couldn't lift his arm above his, uh, his waist, I don't think. And I thought it was a really bad game played by two teams who haven't convinced me they're really that good. But... Uh, you know, there's something about Ohio State and Michigan. They know how to sell uh, sell their product. Uh, and, you know, Clemson hasn't had a great year. Uh, you know, I just don't know. I mean, I would love to see if, if you could match up any of those teams, other than Alabama, in a bowl game, neutral site against USC, who, who does Vegas pick? And I think they still had Ohio State slightly in the overall rankings of Vegas has Ohio State slightly above USC, but not so much you could even notice, but the USC was third. And I would say right now, that's probably about right. I would think so. Does the committee say, look, USC is better than these teams. Uh, they really should be ahead. I mean, Oklahoma State, are you kidding me? Or Oklahoma? I mean, Oklahoma's got you know, crushed by Houston, who lost to, what, Navy and whoever else, uh, uh, you know, that they lost to. And uh, uh, how do you rank Oklahoma State ahead of USC other than that they got an eight and two or whatever their record is? Uh, and um, I doubt if Oklahoma should be rated above USC. Uh, but those two I, teams I will think- take care of each other because they play each other. So you so fig- one of them will still stay ahead of USC, yeah. beating a, a team, and then Penn State. You know they've had a wonderful year. They're not very good. I mean it's that simple. You know Wisconsin. We'll see 
You know, I mean, you got to show up and play if you're going to play those teams. They play hard. Uh, you know, they're well coached. They they get everything out of their ability. And if USC would get matched up against one of them, uh, they better show up a whole lot more ready to play than they were last year against Wisconsin. Uh, but uh, but you know, I think USC. You know, they've got to move up a couple of spots, and Colorado's got to drop a spot. Uh, and how much the committee will be thinking about that, knowing that where they put these two teams it will determine who hosts the Rose Bowl. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they've got the power to make those matchups. So, uh, you know, how they place the Big Ten and how they place the USC will, and Colorado will determine the Rose Bowl. And, and from what I've understood, all the people at the Rose Bowl, if it were up to them, USC's in. Do they have any power? Do they have any uh, influence on the committee? I don't think so, but but I think that's what they'd like to see is uh, you know kind of a classic uh, Rose Bowl matchup with uh, USC against you know uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State. They'd take any of those, and I think so would uh, all of us. Yeah, that'd be uh, great. I mean, I. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I do feel that, that, uh, it'll, Oklahoma or Oklahoma State will move up because they'll win and one of them will move down, which essentially puts Colorado and USC right next to each other. Um, right. we don't know what the committee's going to do. We just don't. Um, but you, you would think, you know, logically, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot to decide there. So I don't, we, we went over, I don't want to, to rehash it too much, but my gut says that USC would end up going. Um, wouldn't be surprised if Colorado did. We just don't know what, uh, the committee's going to do. And we don't know how that game's going to be. I mean, if Colorado's not competitive, I think we know what, what's going to happen. I think they won't keep a, a non-competitive Colorado there. If they aren't competitive against the Washington team that USC just beat, <clears throat> excuse me, by a couple of touch, <coughs> excuse me, by a couple of touchdowns on the road. I think that uh, if they're not competitive, they're going to drop behind USC. If it's a close game, then I, then you know you're flipping coins. I mean, at the very end, you have the head-to-head matchup, and USC did win. And I know they said you know, Lee Fowl, uh, wasn't able to start that game. He did play and he, he, you know, he got out of the game. Uh, but, uh, we'll see. Uh, I think USC's in pretty good shape, but, you know, there's no, uh, no slam dunk here. Let's, uh, well, we still got questions. We still have to talk about USC Notre Dame because we haven't done that. So let's try to jump into some of these questions, Dan. And, uh, so much to get to. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump right in. South, uh, John from South Pasadena says, love all the podcasts. After listening to the recruiting podcast last night, so we did one with Gerard, um, yesterday, talk about recruiting. He said, I'm excited to see what this season's turnaround means for recruiting. But back to the Notre, Notre Dame game for a moment, the 14 point non-offensive outburst late in the first half reminded me of the Pete Carroll days when USC would explode for two or more scores to break open a close game. It was great to see the defense and special teams rise to the occasion when the offense didn't seem fully in sync. I'll give them a partial pass given the wind and the rain. Fight on, John and South Pass. Yeah, I think that was a 
perfect example of how good teams win football games. That uh, uh, they played a Notre Dame team, I think, without any doubt, had the second best personnel of anybody USC played behind Alabama. When you saw those kids, Notre Dame has a ton of good-looking athletes you know, between their quarterback and their running back and that, you know, St. Brown kid. And both their offense and defensive lines, they have, they have impressive-looking athletes. And I thought they really came to play. I mean, I thought they absolutely came to play. They didn't match up well with, with Adoree, and, uh, you know, they had the ability to, to make a mistake here or there. They reminded you of USC against Stanford, where you get a couple of breakdowns and all of a sudden it's out of reach. But, uh, I thought, uh, I thought they, that was a pretty good football team, and they really were ready to slug it out with USC, and, uh, I thought that's how good teams win games, by making those kinds of plays that a Jenny and a Dory and, uh, well, a Dory and a Dory and a Dory, uh, you know, kept making, and, and Ronald Jones. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, it wasn't a great game for Sam. It was an adequate game, but we've been expecting, you know, so much from him every, every time out. And as Sam said, he was proud of himself because he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't, he was, he had great ball security. And that's, uh, that's how you win games like that. And, and, you know, this is a Notre Dame team that basically, I guess, if I would have had to grade that effort against Notre Dame's schedule, they win nine games with that effort against the rest of their schedule. And, uh, you know, they were still in literally every single game they lost, except for the USC game. I mean, every other game was, you know, seven points or less for six of them and, and eight points for the other one. So, they had no double-digit losses, and and probably you know that score, forty you know forty what forty-five twenty-one would have probably been more uh, you know more the score that reflected where that game was until USC substituted. But um, I thought it was a pretty impressive. This is how a big-time program wins games like this. You do what USC did Saturday. Let's uh, go to Paul in Santa Clarita. He says, hello, Dan. Ryan, I'm obviously copying your intro, but I have to ask if you use this in all aspects of your day. Example, hello, wife, or hello, dog. Uh, no, I don't. He said, just asking. I do not know, Paul. Um, he said, Dan, just saw that Olawali Batiku had zero tackles for the season. Uh, in fact, he is not listed at all in the season total defensive stats. Sam Darnold has more tackles than... Then Wally does. He has two. In hindsight, do you think Wally was just a little too green to have played this year? Would he have been better off redshirting? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. No, I, I would have played him more, to be honest with you. Um, I think he needs to play. I think he learned a lot. First play he was in. Uh, he was telling us about how how much he learned from that play. So I would have, I'd go the other direction. I don't think he's still going to be there in four years so i think that's the way you look at that is uh you know is he going to play five years or not i don't think he is so the kids that are not going to play five years i think the more you get them in their first year the better you don't want to do anything to you know harm the team uh but i think you want to give them a taste of it uh, a sense of you know this is what i need to do this is what i could be a part of and I think they did that. I would have liked to have seen a, a little bit more, or you know, of that, and a little more, you know, 
pass rushing specialty kind of kind of work in in you know like the Oregon game or the Cal game maybe you know that that kind of thing just sneak him in there and uh, turn him loose and and see what happens but uh, but I think I think it's not those numbers aren't bad he didn't get that many opportunities uh, but uh, but I think he needed the opportunities he got. Let's go to Rex. He says, congratulations to USC on the win. I think uh, in the last week on one of the podcasts, Dan Weber stated that he had heard from some NFL scouts that Adoree would be drafted as an offensive player in the NFL, not a defensive player. After Adoree's standout performance scoring against Notre Dame, uh, you can see why some people may think this way. I've noticed throughout the year, especially the latter part of the year, that offenses have uh, targeted Adoree uh, successfully more so than Biggie, even though most of us have been on the opinion that Biggie needs to move to safety. Uh, my question is, does, do you think that Adori has not improved on technique this year or have they found a weakness in his game? And also, do you think that Adori, uh, will be a defensive back in the NFL or a Percy Harvin type player? And so the other thing I noticed all year is that the holder on kicks turns the laces towards the kicker quite often and has caused the kicker to miss extra points. And be off on his kicks. Am I seeing uh, things? And why has Coach Baxter not worked on this move? Just a thought. I love the podcast. Listen to each and every one. Rex. Huh, Rex. As far as the the, uh, the holder, I haven't seen that. I, I usually think that's completely uh, determined by the placement of the snap. I, I just think nothing else uh, determines what the holder does the way they work at it, uh, other than the, the placement of the snap. And so I have to, I'll pay a little more attention to that. I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that's a problem because it's too easy to work on. I mean, they, they work on it enough that if it was any kind of an issue, I think, you know, that that's almost too easy to work on. Uh, and, 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 and it's so obvious in film if that is the case. So uh, I hadn't noticed that, but I'll I'll take a look at it. As far as uh, where Adori ends up, I mean, you know, I never understand sometimes what the NFL is thinking. Uh, I mean, this is a league now kind of bereft of offensive talent. Uh, you know, it's hard to watch those games. It's obvious they have spent more time and effort scouting and and, and putting guys on defense and they pay them more and they're more shut down games. And if I were an NFL team, and I don't know that this is a common thought, just that there is some thought about Adore as an offensive player. I would, I mean, I think Adore can be a pretty good defensive player. I mean, and, and if you're a pretty good defensive player in the NFL, that's a really, that's a good thing. Okay. However, uh, I think his physical skills and his uh, awareness of where he is and his ability with the ball in his hand to do things that you just don't see other people do. I mean, I think the thing that people forget is he has fabulous hands. His hands are as good as anybody, I think, in the country. I mean, in, in all circumstances. He And this is a kid that can dunk a basketball on a 12-foot basket. So... If he were, for example, let's say he decided, oh, you know what, I think I'm having enough fun in college. I'll come back next year, and maybe I would like to take a run at the Heisman and 
you know, with a Juju with Juju leaving, maybe I could be the uh, lead wide receiver and throw me the ball ten or twelve times a game. And I think USC would say, "Really? No kidding? You want to do that? We'll throw you fifteen times a game." I mean, he would be very difficult for people to stop. I mean, I think he could also be a guy that you know could obviously going to do the return stuff, but if you slotted him as an offensive player next year with as a part-time defensive player and as a full-time return guy, I think you got yourself uh, the makings of two Heisman campaigns for next year for USC. And uh, so, you know, does that help him in the NFL? If I'm the NFL, I look at him and I'd say, man, I wonder if we used him full-time on offense. Would that be more valuable to us than, than him on defense? I mean, he's really worked at his defense this year. Uh, and I think he's become very sound. Uh, but, you know, I don't know that he's the best defensive player in the country. But with the ball in his hand, he might be the best player in the country. If you get the, get him the ball enough, uh, in space with the ball in his hand, I'm not sure there's anybody any better. So, you know, that's just kind of my take. I, I'd be, I'm much more somebody that would like to see more offense in the NFL at the next level. And uh, as it turns out, USC didn't need him that much on offense this year. So it didn't really happen uh, as much as maybe we thought it was going to. But uh, he was pretty darned effective uh, whenever he got that chance. And, and the thing people forget is he's a really good running back. You know, you, you you get him into the game, line him up, run it quick, like a quick pitch to the sideline, and he's got eight yards before they know he's in the game. Uh, and so I think he could do a lot of that in the NFL. So I'd be excited to see that for uh, Adore. I just think he's got skills that uh, are kind of unmatched on some of the things he can do with the ball in his hand. We got a USC fan in Alabama. I didn't leave a name, but he just said USC fan in Alabama. Uh, he said, while stepping on an ankle is a low-class move, I can write that off as an emotional kid. Kicking the head of an injured player who could possibly have a serious neck injury is way over the line. Does the NCAA review such plays, or is uh, disciplinary action solely up to Notre Dame? That's a good question because it's an interconference interconference game. You know, if that were Pac-12, uh, the Pac-12 would be looking at it. Uh I think it's strictly up to Notre Dame. I don't know that it goes to the Atlantic Coast Conference. The Notre Dame's sort of a, you know, half member, plays half, uh, half of an Atlantic Coast Conference schedule, and there were Atlantic Coast Conference, uh, you know, officials at, uh, doing the game Saturday. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to think exactly, because you hear from all the Notre Dame people that that seemed very uncharacteristic for Tillery. So, uh, I don't, I don't know what to think. I, I know this, uh, I, I was surprised at this when I looked, you know, where he was from. He was from the same high school as John, John David Booty. He was from Evangel Christian in Shreveport, uh, before he came to Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff you read about him was that he didn't seem to have that kind of a track record. So, I don't know what was going on. The Notre Dame kids didn't look very happy about how things were working out for them. And, you know, you could understand, uh, not being happy. 
uh, even being a little chippy, you can't understand what he did a couple of times in that game, uh, and maybe even one more time. I think somebody said that he actually did did something to Ronald Jones early in the game where you didn't know, you know, it was setting a pattern. But uh, he had one of those. I watched him when I went onto the field. I watched him walk off. He was all by himself. Uh, and you could tell he was thinking about, you know, what did I just do? And I guess Kelly jumped him on the sideline after he was made aware of what had happened. But, uh, but you know, that was... Uh, that was, that's not the kind of thing, if, if you were a good kid and had a good track record, you got to be thinking, what did I just do to my uh, reputation? And uh, uh, he didn't do anything to help it, that's for sure. He actually apologized on social media yesterday, I believe, and or it might right. have been the day before. And Aka Cedric Ware and Zach Banner both responded positively. So it seems like, you know, they're, the, the two players that were – on the, the receiving end of that seemed to they okay with stuff. So I think everyone could can probably move on from that one. Yeah, I mean, I think it was one of those apologies where it clearly was written by somebody in the yeah. first information office, I'm thinking. It wasn't, you know, wasn't written by Tillery. But the reaction of, of, of uh, the two USC kids was terrific. I mean, I, I was uh, very impressed by Zach and said, reaction and and those weren't written by somebody those were their own reactions so i liked it that they took the high road and uh, you know accepted it and they're definitely moving on and that was uh that was a nice job by usc's kids let's uh we got a voicemail question let's play this one for you dan this is for dan or the coach the coaching staff consistently praises the o-line when we have a big day running the football there are moments when i agree the blocking was phenomenal on Rojo's 51-yard touchdown against Notre Dame. However, there are many times when Rojo or other backs are getting hit in the backfield or forced to make someone miss in the backfield to create a big play. In the Pete days, we could run the same running play two or three times in a row and find success. To me, that is the measure of a good O-line. Saturday, any time we tried to double up a running play, the second attempt generally resulted in Rojo getting hit right after receiving the ball. In fact, many of our backs' long runs this year have come because they made someone miss in the backfield. Why do our coaches consistently credit the O-line with our success in running the football? Are they seeing something that I'm not? Thanks and fight on, Jason from Longhorn Country. Yeah, Jason, I probably am more on your side than uh, I think they, it's to some extent wishful thinking, it's to some extent, trying to be very positive, trying to bring those guys on, but I, I am, I'm a little frustrated at times for the uh, uh, when they get plays blown up. I mean, when you don't, when the one guy you don't block is the guy at the point of attack, it just seems uh, inexplicable to me as to how that happened, and it does keep happening. I mean, there are times when they block everybody and they collapse the line of scrimmage and you, you see, you know, wide receivers really throwing downfield. And I think they've done a good job of that all year long, the, the wide receivers throwing downfield. But, uh, and he has been a, you know, a little hit or miss. And, and when you see him hit, you know, they just collapse everything and boom. Uh, but then you see, uh, the plays that get, get blown up and you just 
can't quite figure out, you know, who didn't, you know, who didn't pick up who, or is it that obvious to the, you know, the defense from the personnel and the, and the, uh, and the lineup in terms of what they're going to run. But, uh, but I, I don't disagree with you that, that it may happen a little bit more, uh, than you would like for what you would hope would be an elite offensive line. I mean, you really, Three of the five made all Pac-12, two both tackles, and Damian made second team. So that's three of your five guys, and everybody, you know, pretty sure that, you know, they, you know, Nico's had a good year, and Vianney's not had a bad year. So that doesn't always compute then to see some of those plays. So, uh, so you're not seeing something that you're not seeing. I think you're seeing something that, we, we don't have a good answer for. We have uh, some bull talk, Dan. Uh, Nick wrote in. Uh, he said, first, hope everyone enjoyed their Thanksgiving and the USC beatdown of Notre Dame. Uh, question is, regards to where you see USC playing in a bowl game, fight on and love what you guys do. And then uh, kind of on the same line, Tarek wants to know, how does Clay Helton keep the team's spirits up if they're not going to be in one of the major games? So maybe kind of get your thoughts on those two. I think whatever game they're going to play in, it'll be decent enough. I mean, you know, that you could drop, I, I don't think they can drop below the Alamo Bowl, even if Washington uh, gets upset by Colorado, but I guess there's that possibility. Uh, that would be the question, you know, would they really drop to the Holiday Bowl? Um, if, uh, you know, Washington doesn't go to the playoffs and they take the, Either Washington or Colorado takes the Rose Bowl and the other one takes the Alamo Bowl. Uh, that might be, uh, you know, third straight year at the Holiday Bowl. Uh, you'd hope you'd get enough of an opponent. I think if they go to the Alamo Bowl, I think there's still a good chance you'd end up with somebody like Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. And I think that would be fine. I think that, that would be a good, that's a good bowl. Uh, if you go to the, uh, Cotton Bowl as an at-large team, and you get the best of the non-Power 5 teams in the country at Western Michigan, um, would that be a challenge? Maybe, a little bit. I mean, they'd be unbeaten. Uh, they'd be on the muscle, you know, with if P.J. Fleck is still coaching them. Uh, you know, one of the hot, hot, you know, next to Herman, the hottest young coach, uh, and a team that USC opens with next year, which would be another one of those just, crazy ridiculous uh deals where you you'd end up playing them back to back uh but uh uh that would be a little more of a challenge than going back to uh uh you know the Cowboys stadium uh for the Cotton Bowl I don't know how that would play out would that be a case of man we were so embarrassed last time uh this is our chance to you know come in here and play well which I think might be the you know the the motivating factor that overrides everything else. But, uh, but I think that's the challenge. Uh, I think for Clay, the challenge is not to do it like last year. I think he's got last year, and I, I asked him about it on the conference call Sunday night, and he said it was obvious. He wanted you to know he's got a plan. He's going to use all the practices. There are everything figured out. Huh. Why would he be he doing not, that? 
Uh-huh. Why would he be and emphasizing he that? Was there any criticism from last yeah. year? <laughs> I, I, I even prefaced it with, you know, well, we all know what happened last year in the criticism. He didn't address that particular part of the question. He just made it clear he's going to use all the practice available for three weeks. And, uh, and you know, he didn't say it's not going to be like last year, but by telling you what he's going to do, he made it clear it's not going to be like last year. So I think the combination of the motivation for USC's team after being embarrassed by Wisconsin and Clay and everybody involved that uh, I think the bowl game will be good enough for people not to be. It's not like they're you know, going to the Sun Bowl. Uh, so, and heck, they got motivation there after the last time at the Sun Bowl. You try to erase that horrible memory. So, uh, you know, I think they'll, I think, I think they'll be able to handle it, but, uh, it is, you know, it's a challenge and it's where coaches, you know, it's one more challenge for Clay in this season to see if, uh, if he can, you know, make this, uh, end up, uh, the way, you know, get him to 10 wins, uh, get him to finish in a way that people will remember you by, because this is a team that you want to say to people, uh, we're going to be a challenger next year for the playoffs. You know, that that's what you want to be saying to people. Uh, and you want to leave that memory with them that this program is back and expects to be in the, uh, you know, in the playoffs next year. And you got to, you know, you got to show up for your bowl game if, if that's the case. Uh, we got a few more, Dan. We'll try to knock them out quick. Uh, Earl of West LA. Um, I'll just kind of paraphrase. He was talking about Adoree Jackson and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster talking after the game. Sounded like there was potential for them to come back. Uh, were these guys still energized after a great game, or do you think uh, what they said is credible? Yeah, I don't think they were. I think it isn't terribly credible. I think they knew that that was the senior's day, that it wasn't a day for them to be talking about anything else other than that. And it's easy to, you know, to say good things about, you know, I could be coming back. I could see myself doing that. And that's not a stretch. Uh, would it be a surprise? Yeah, I think it, it would be an absolute surprise. And, and when you look at some of the history, uh, does the history kind of argue against guys coming back when you look at, you know, what's happened to, to some of them, yeah. I mean, uh, that you know, the, uh, the Matt Barkley and Matt, you know Liner, those guys would they have been better off maybe not coming back? Probably. Uh, so, uh, I just think it wasn't something they really wanted to talk about then. I mean, I think Adori has got enough of a, a free spirit about things that uh, uh, that it isn't impossible to imagine. Uh, him coming back, but it would be a shocker if either Adore or Juju, uh, you know, came back. Uh, I, you don't see the upside all that much unless, as we explained, Adore decides, I really want to be an offensive player and I want to, you know, hone my offensive skills and, uh, and really take a run. And yeah, if you could go come back and win a Heisman Trophy, would that up your, uh, uh, you know, your NFL draft status and would that be worth it in dollars and cents yeah probably uh other than that it's hard to hard to make the case that it would be worth uh worth coming back for uh it's just you know it's, you know you could say well you could win a national championship and, and not be saying that 
incorrectly, you know, the, the chance might be there. And yet, uh, you know, the, the odds of that happening, uh, is, is that something you, you would say, well, that makes it absolutely worthwhile? No, that's kind of a, an, an emotional decision. But is it a rational one? Uh, hard to, hard to say that it's an absolutely rational decision. We have an international question from Sean. This is an interesting one. He said, great time to be a Trojan. If you told me in early October we'd be on the cusp of a potential Pac-12 title berth and potentially a Rose Bowl bid, I would have told you you're crazy. Uh, my how things can change. Certainly have. Uh, the last podcast with Dan Weber, a question was asked about the next Juju slash Aguilar slash Lee slash Woods. With Darnold and Rojo back, do you think we even need this guy? The offense has run better when it's a different guy, a different leading receiver every game, much better. We have the depth to support this. Would you agree? I think Rojo being a focal point could make him a Heisman contender, and I think he has a legit shot to win it next year. Thanks and fight on uh, from Canada. Sean. Yeah, uh, I think Sam is the focal point of the Heisman you know, uh, situation. And could USC ever have one of those situations where you've got three different guys in four years that, that get a shot at it? Uh, I guess, uh, will that ever happen again? I don't know. I, I, you know, it's hard to even imagine, but yeah, Frojo, you know, plays all season long, like he has, uh, you know, the last month, uh, that's, uh, he's, uh, he's something special, but you know, so is Sam. And, um, um, as to, uh, Juju, yeah, I don't think USC, and I don't think that's Sam's game either, is to throw to one guy. Although the other day, here's Juju, you know, playing on one leg, and he caught four straight passes. And that wasn't because Sam was just looking for him. That's because he was, he was available, and he had made, you know, a really good play, uh, a really good cut, and, uh, and, he was there to, you know, to catch it. And at times you realize, you know, he really does do a lot of things. And, and he, he's such a, uh, kind of a, an inspirational character off the field and, you know, in practice. And he's just sort of a one of a kind free spirit. Uh, you know, so I don't know that you would look just to how many passes does he catch. Uh, and I don't disagree that the more diverse the attack is and the more times you've got 10, 11 guys catching the ball, you're probably better off. Uh, but, uh, but I wouldn't, you know, say, you know, you don't need a Rojo type. I think they, USC has needed him. But again, not to the exclusion of, uh, of a Deontay or, uh, you know, uh, Darius Rogers has made so many big plays, uh, that, uh, you know, you just, you don't think USC, uh, especially this year, has not said we're going to throw it to Juju and not throw it to anybody else. I mean, it's really changed. I mean, there's no question about it. After all those years of having one kind of designated go-to guy, that's not the case at all. I mean, people, uh, you know, will go to a USC game and have no idea who, you know, like when the Quan here, I'm sure the UCLA coach has said, who was that that just caught that touchdown pass, and wait, did the same guy caught another one? I'm sure they're like saying, what, who does that? You know, USC's had that kind of, kind of, you know, talent, and, and Sam's been able to take advantage of it. So, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't knock, you know, Juju 
coming back as being a negative, but having the ability to get the ball to all those different receivers is definitely a positive. Uh, we've got a couple more. We'll let you go. Um, Jim in Oregon, he said, are you ready to give Clay Helton another year? Uh, also, isn't it ironic that Ed Orgeron and Clay Helton are both head coaches of major college football programs and the other two are lost somewhere in Alabama? <laughs> Very good. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it is good. I mean, I really think, and I was always one who thought Ed should have been retained over Sark. I thought that was one of the great, you know, hiring mistakes of all time. And it proved out, you know, to be the case. And I thought, you know, you, you gave Ed, give Ed a chance to show what he could do. And he, um, he would recruit like heck and the players would play for him and the fans would love him. And you see what happens after a couple of years and you don't have the Sark situation. So it's great that he, you know, he was the one who survived at LSU and that's the perfect place for Ed and, uh, could not be happier for anybody in the whole world. And I will say this, Ed, you know, was open, uh, you know, to USC. He loves USC and I think it was misinterpreted where he, said that you know they wanted somebody from the country club i think that was limited to the person doing the hiring not the rest of the usc family Ed, you know just absolutely uh can't say enough good things about his time at usc and uh so the fact that both of them survived some uh difficult times and that both of them are you know had 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 you know two top 10 programs obviously in the history of college football and uh that they're both there. Uh, USC's been very fortunate, I think, in the you know the kind of quality people who have come through this program. And we, all we can do is just hope for the best, uh, you know, for both of them. But uh, but it's pretty cool that uh, both of those guys uh, are now head football coaches. We got one last one from Matt uh, in Yolo Country. Don't know where that is. Uh, he said, "Who is staying and who is going for the USC coaching staff this year?" And do any of the new hires, fires across the country mean that someone from USC is leaving for another program? Huh. I I think that's a little early, and we haven't seen all the different shoes dropped. I mean, if you said over the years, I think um, Coach Baxter was in the running. I don't know who was last year, or the year year before. Yes, year before for the Colorado State job. Uh, so I think he would like to be, you know, a head coach, whether he was interested in the Fresno State job or not. Didn't hear anything about that. He had spent a lot of time there. Uh, but uh, as far as then T. Martin, I think, is probably going to be on some people's radar in the near future. Um, now that he's had, uh, you know, a successful year as offensive coordinator, everybody knows what kind of recruiter he is. Uh I don't know that I see a match for, you know, those guys right now. I don't know that there's anybody else that probably is in, in that kind of a mix. Are there any, are there any guys on the staff who could move up to a coordinator's job, uh, at a really big program? I guess there's always the, that possibility, say for a Tyson Helton, uh, as an offensive coordinator at a good program, uh, but, 
but I don't know that there necessarily has to be uh, a great deal of movement with this USC coaching staff uh, this year. I think a lot of people are thinking, you know, we got a heck of a shot to to do something special next year, and let's go, you know, let's go for next year and then then see what happens. Would be more my uh, my thinking on, on 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 movement and the coaching staff. All right, Dan, great stuff. Uh, we're gonna have to end it there. Sorry, we didn't get to all the questions. I'll, maybe I have to do one more podcast this week. I'll get Shotgun or someone to come on and, and finish up some of the questions. But I did like a two hour, you know, podcast of champions earlier today. Some radio wow. interviews. Just too many, too many podcasts, Dan. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're podcasting it. Uh, I guess, uh, I guess podcasts are the thing though. I mean, they're one of the fastest growing, uh, you know, with all the social media stuff that's going on, I think podcasts might be, uh, growing as fast as anybody, although there's no way to probably keep track of how many podcasts there are. But, uh, you know, it's amazing, uh, how many there are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people want to listen on demand. I mean, I can't, so honestly, like I have a lot of friends. I do, you know, we do radio spots and everything and I can't listen to the radio in the car. It's just, there's too many commercials, you know, so I, I try to listen to podcasts and it's, uh, just control what you want to listen to. Yeah, and in L.A., you've got a chance to you know what your commute's going to be. And uh, it certainly sounds like that's what a lot of guys do uh, is they, they figure it out what, what the, you know, the commute's going to be, and, and they fire that podcast on. Yeah. All right, well, Dan, thanks again uh, for coming on. Great stuff. We still don't know practice-wise uh, what's going on. You know, one quick thing. Um, if you're on social media, on Instagram, Max Brown, I uh, had a really great letter, a uh, goodbye letter. I don't know if you got to see it yet, Dan. It just kind of came out as we started taping. No, uh, I hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah, so really, really nice sentiment from him. He's such a classy kid. That He didn't say if he was going to be not sticking around for the bowl game, but that's kind of the feeling you get from it. But I just want to give a shout-out to Max Brown, who's been you know, great to us over the years. I mean, I'm just covering him as a recruit to now, uh, four years in the program. So we wish him the very best. Yeah, and I think the challenge is we were trying to figure this out for him, and if he's gonna, uh, you know, he can take the rec- uh, visiting uh, recruit visits just like uh, high school recruits can, and it was gonna be hard to figure out how he would do that and still do all the practice uh, time and still be available, you know, for the bowl game and be available then to go to uh, wherever he's going for the start of the next semester. So uh, I think there might almost be just a, a, a logistics and timing issue uh, if he's going to go visit schools and talk to people and sit down. There's almost not enough time to do that the way it's structured now. So uh, we would wish him the best of luck and go get him. Go get him. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan. And uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 